You are listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership to inspire team captains to lead their teams more effectively and help coaches to systematically develop and use them. Now, here's your co-host, Luke Poulos. dichotomy and 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 i you know and that's okay right i mean i mean if you want to if that's what you want to do then that's your thing just know it and declare it and be truthful about it and just go you know and i'm sure there's you know there's a there's a there's a path for you in that life i mean you see it all around us right but but from my from from my journey and for the for the people that i lead and the tribe that i'm building and it strikes me that you you are on a similar path and your people that you know, if you're going to serve people, if you if you believe that leadership is service, then the being the best is a means to the ends. There's nothing wrong with being the best as long as it's in the pursuit of relevance. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's a, a great definition and a great mindset to have. You know, relevance is really what you're looking for, and that that legacy that you want to leave behind. You know, my our coach at at West Point, a little cross team. Coach Abarisi, he, you know, always said, you know, wear the jersey for those that came before you and, and leave your jersey in a better place than you found it. That's it. That's just as good as it gets right there. I, I got nothing I mean, that I could add to that. That's just super profound. Yeah, and I, and I love it. And it all just comes back to, you know, kind of what we started with, this narrative mindset, this storytelling, how you fit yourself into the story of your life like you said, very autobiographical, and then how you fit yourself into your teams. And yeah. teams kind of fit into this whole scenario and this overarching narrative of everything around you. Which I would just add one thing there, Luke, is that you know, one of the most important stories that we can tell as leaders is the story we tell ourselves. And, yeah. I, and I tell this to my, my three boys. I have three boys. One's an infantry on his way to be an infantry lieutenant this year. The other one's going in the FBI, and, and the third wants to play for the Yankees. Wow. <laughs> uh, <he's, and laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty impressive. Congratulations yeah. to you uh, and your wife for, for raising three, uh, three studs there. They're warriors, man, and they, and they believe, and, you know, they grew up around special forces, and so they operate with that mindset. And, but, you know, what I tell them all the time is, what's the story you're telling yourself? You know, what is the narrative that you tell yourself every single moment of every single day? Uh, because – Again, we are story animals. And so if you're going to condition yourself for an outcome that is, you know, bigger than you and and profound, then you have to have a narrative that's worthy of it. And you have to tell yourself that story all the time. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It just brings it to the forefront uh, of everything you do. Keep it, keep it in the back of your mind. And I think that's kind of why, you know, journaling is so important, really getting your thoughts and, and bringing it to the forefront keeping your perception sharp and your, your awareness sharp. You bet. What are some of the signs or or kind of the areas you look for when you're assisting the, the organizations that you work with when it comes to their leadership, whether it be, you know, like what we've said, their organization culture, their, their structure, the, you know, do you value the leadership? more opinions more than you value any the middle managers or or you know kind of the grunts 
how does that, how does that kind of play out when you first approach your, your clients? What a great question. Um, you know, I do kind of a 360 assessment. Um, mm -hmm. the first thing I want to look at is, you know, is there an understanding of the organizational purpose and charter? You know, that's one of the first things I want to, yeah. I want to I walk around and ask people if they understand what it is. I've almost never heard that except in special ops and a couple other high performing teams. Normally there's not a congruent understanding of that. So that's one of the first things I want to get at. Um, you know, the next thing I want to get a sense of is, you know, uh, who, who the stakeholders are in the organization, mm -hmm. highest level, middle level, junior level. Um, I want to get a sense of the, the, the visionary in that team. Who's the visionary? Uh, is there a visionary? But usually right. there is. But who's the visionary and what's their vision? Um, and then I want to start looking at almost immediately. I want to start looking at the the so meaning, you know, I, I always evaluate meaning seeking, emotional, social story animal. So I want to start looking at the, the, the social the connection gaps. Like where is where is trust in this organization? Is there trust? Is it broken? Is it fractured? Is it strong? Um, I'm going to assess in groups and out groups. Are there groups that are subgroups in the organization that are, that are causing rifts in the organization? What's the trust dynamic in this group? And, you know, where does it need, where are the tensions that need to be addressed? Because uh, until those trust gaps can be addressed, you almost can't even do anything. Uh, so, so that's the next thing I'm going to do is look at their trust levels. Um, and then finally, I'd say I look at their, I look at their story you know, do they have a story that conveys where they're going and do they believe it? I love it. And I should come as no surprise to anyone that's been listening to this, that that's kind of the first thing, first thing you go to. And, and I couldn't agree more with you that all too often when you ask people, you know, for that overarching strategy, those overarching missions, goals, outcomes, it's really hard for people who aren't at the very, very top, a lot of times it's really hard for them to come up with an answer. And if they do come up with an answer, nine times out of 10, it's not the same uh, answer that anyone around them is going to give above or below. So I think that's, that's a huge, a huge piece to look for coming in. And, you know, if you're on a sports team or you're a coach, maybe you, you gauge that at the beginning of the season, you ask your seniors, Hey, you know, what are we doing here over the past four years? What do you think it is that we're doing here? And then ask your juniors, ask your sophomores, and and obviously your freshmen aren't aren't going to have a whole lot to to give you when it when it starts off. But I mean that might give you a gauge on how well you recruited them and what you kind of your your recruiting spiel, what that was kind of about. And I think until you can kind of get to a place where all those groups are giving you a, a a similar answer, you can't really say that you've done a good job, you know, putting that that narrative out there, that messaging. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, like you said, trust, uh, cohesiveness, all of that is way above any sort of, you know, organizational structure that you're going to come in or, or anybody who thinks they have, you know, the magic recipe for fixing an organization from the top to the bottom by, you know, implementing one tool or implementing, you know, weekly sessions of X, Y, and Z you know, you really have to start with the, the relationships, like you said. So I think that's a great place to start um, when kind of gauging an organization or a team. Is there any special training or development tools, you know, now that I've, I've said those don't always work, but is there any sort of special training or development tools that you use for your clients and, and their employees 
Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, one I was just thinking of for, you know, uh, team leaders, coaches, um, that I highly recommend, and I've been doing for a while now with the astronomical results is, and, and you can do this as a brand new leader, or even if you've been there for a while, again, you typically want to do this when risk is low. So, you know, off season or in a kind of a down period, I say, get away from, if you can get away from the arena you play in or you compete in. So if it's an office building, get out of the office building, go to a park, go to a campground, ideally somewhere with a fire pit, um, and a place to get out of the rain, maybe have food catered in or chicken brought in, whatever. And, and, sit, and before you do that, though, as the leader, I would suggest that you sit down for 10 minutes and you ponder the answer to these two questions. Why do you show up and lead your people every day? And where does that come from in your life? Right. And really reflect on that. Open yourself up to that. Be honest about that. Be relatable and move the pin. Don't overthink. Just move the pin. When you've got... 10 months worth of writing, take that and take it with you to this session that you do with your people and then ask them the same question and let them write for 10 minutes. Um, and then you can do this one of two ways. You can let them share with partners, which is pretty cool. Uh, or you can sit around in a circle and you can, you can go around the horn either way works great. You got it just based on how you know your people and what would land better with them. And then when you get to the end, I tell the leader, hey, now ask your people, would it be okay if I share with you guys why I lead the way I do and where that comes from? Ask their permission. It'll deepen the trust and, and they'll value what you have to say even more. And then you share it with them. And in that moment right now, there, you've, you've deepened and accelerated trust and connection with your people, even if you've known them for years. And you're going to be in a much better place to lean in and talk about where you go together with a shared vision, because everyone will have been heard. Everyone's been validated. Everyone has a better sense of the other person and how they play. And now you're ready to, to lean in together and start developing a collective vision. I, I love it. I love it. That's, that's amazing. And if you're listening to this, if you get nothing else from this conversation, I hope you take that away uh, right there. Cause you know, we just talked about the importance of, of understanding why people show up, where it comes from, what's your why, all of that. And you're probably thinking, okay, great. How do I do that? You know, Scott just gave you the answer and, and a great, a great way of accomplishing that while also, you know, like you said, gaining some trust and, and getting some, getting some bonus points there in terms of your, your leadership, um, yeah. kind of your leadership fund there, making, making some deposits uh, in a low risk area. And I love it. I love it. One other thing I'll just say to that, Luke, and I always tell people who I work with is like, I'm never going to give you theory. You know, I have a feeling you're probably the same way. You know, if I get something wrong, you know, I still train green berets. I still train federal law enforcement. If I get it wrong, people get killed. And so I'm never going to share a technique or a best practice or a process that I have not done myself in the most yeah. dangerous places on earth. And we're all meaning seeking emotional, social story animals. And if you take that coaching and you put it in play, 99.9% uh, .9 of the time it's going to work because I've just, I've tested it in the worst places on earth. Right. Right. And I just, you know, if you, if you needed any more convincing, a little cherry on top for you, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm similar mindset. You know, I'm not just going to give you some, some woo woo that I picked up online. Um, you know, it's either going to be from someone I trust 
wholeheartedly that has tried and tested this or something that I've done in my, my own experience. And that also great uh, leadership aspect. And that's why you offer your own story and, and why you show up as the leader at the end to, you know, create more of that, that sign and that understanding. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Bottom. Is there anything uh, that you've seen really successful organizations, you know, obviously you've been in some, in one particular extremely successful organization, but is there anything, you know, outside of the military organizations, teams, companies, anything that they do consistently well in terms of leadership that kind of sets them apart from, from mediocre or, or lower performing organizations? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I got a couple. And if you'll remind me, um, I did a class at a, at a, at a big commercial bank um, a while back. And I actually, they asked me to put together a synthesized list of what special operators do well on teams. Mm -hmm. And I will happily share that with your folks if you want. I'll send it over to you in a digital format. Awesome. Yeah, we would, I'm sure Ben would love to have that throw it up yeah. on our website for sure. Um, but, but there's a few that come to mind um, that I've seen. I'm going to, I'm going to speak to special ops teams because I think there's a universal application of what mm -hmm. they do, especially with your listeners. Um, you know, one thing that, that strikes me about really, really high performing uh, special ops teams is that they they show up for each other, and I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but let me let me tell you what I mean by that is they they literally will lay it on the line for their brother. Like they they've they've suffered hardship together to the degree that that they are invested in each other, and and that's who they fight for. They fight for the man or woman to their left or right. They don't fight for their country necessarily or even their unit they fight or even people back home they are fighting for each other and i don't see that a lot these days mm -hmm. it strikes me you know i see a lot of people talk about that it's sad i don't see people showing up for each other in in a way that is truly through action and deed and so if we can cultivate a culture where and again that means that the only way to that, the only path through that, that I've seen is shared struggle. I don't know any other way there. Yeah. Maybe there is, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, so, you know, but, but I do believe that's one. Another one is high performing teams learn faster than any other organization. You know, the Israeli special operations forces, they're the fastest learning organization on the planet. They, they come off a fight and they will immediately, uh, do an after action review where they talk about what went wrong, what went right, uh, what they learned. Now all spec, all forces do this, but the Israelis do it faster than anyone. And then they push those lessons, not only up the chain, but across the formation in real time. Um, and, and they, and they have such a, a, a visceral, uh, appetite for learning quickly in, in real time. And I think organizations that crave that, you know, so in other words, you come off the, you come out of the arena, and you don't even take your gear off. You're still standing there with sweat dripping off your nose, doing a hot wash of what just happened and what went right, and what went wrong. And you have the discipline to even go back into the arena and do it again uh, after the performance to, to change what needs to be changed, like that level of learning. Um, and then the final thing that I would say is uh, indicative of high-performing teams that I've seen 
is the members of high performing teams are always looking for work. If we go in a room and we're clearing a room as Green Berets and we're taking down a target inside that room, you know, you don't just go to your corner and lock that corner down and say, okay, I'm good. I'm done. You know, you immediately, once you lock it down and that room is clear, you start looking for more work. You look for work all the time. Um, you know, one of the best questions I think a team can ask another teammate is what, what position do you need me to play for you right now? What mm -hmm. do you need? Um, so those are three that come to mind. I love it. I mean, those are three great ones. You know, you're doing, doing it for each other, learning and looking for what, looking for work. What's next? Um, and you know, doing it for each other, like you said, it, it's really hard, almost impossible to come by that without some sort of, uh, team struggle, you know, and that's why you see coaches out there putting their team through, you know, crazy team building exercise, bringing in SEALs to run the program, um, bringing Marines in, taking them on crazy physical strains, taking them on long runs, stuff like that, where you can look back and, you know, it, it sucks in the moment, but it almost is great on, on the back end. And, you know, someone, someone I forget what podcast I was listening to, but it was almost, you know, fun is rated based on how much fun it was in the moment. So like a roller coaster, super fun in the moment, but 10 years from now, you're not talking about how fun a roller coaster was, but you could go do a crazy extreme strenuous physical activity for two weeks straight and it sucks in the moment. But then, you know, 10 years later, you're talking about what a blast that was. And it's, one because of how tough it was at the time and two because of the people around you yeah so, that's why people love go rock and spartan race and you know um, yeah exactly we love we are creatures of struggle so as a leader if you can create you know shared struggle is ideal uh in some corporate settings you can't do that so shared experience is second best right exactly something that you can all look back on and reflect together and then you know learning the Cal rugby coach, we had him on, he, he talked about how they do AARs after every game, win, lose, draw, uh, immediately after the game. And they talk about every game the same exact way. So it's the same discussion, whether they won or lost. You know, if it's a win, it's not a short conversation and a loss is, is extra long. They spend the same amount of time, the same amount of mental power, the same amount of attention to detail on every single one of those AARs. And I think it, I mean, your example of the, the Israeli special forces and, and Cal rugby, I mean, Cal rugby is probably the number one program in the history of college rugby. And there you go. That, that, that plays a piece. And then looking for work, what's next? It's kind of a reflection on doing it for each other. You know, if you're always caring about the guy to the left and your right or the gal to the left and right of you, you're going to be looking constantly on ways to help them out or help out the organization that helps them out. So I think that's yeah. always, you, you know, know I, one of my favorite ball players is, is uh, Ben Zobrist. You know, I think he's still with the Cubs, um, but you know, he was a Tampa Bay Ray for the longest time. And, you know, when Joe Madden was down here with the Rays coaching him, you know, Ben would, would show up at the field and, you know, he'd have a bag full of gloves, man. And, you know, the, the guy would literally play like second base, right field. And you never knew where the guy was going to be that day, you know, and, you know, Madden would always talk about, and he brought him on to Chicago, you know, and, and the reason is the guy was so coachable. He was so coachable and he, he was always, what position do you need me to play? What if we asked each other that as teammates all the time, what would that look like? Can you imagine 
If we wild. ask that question of each other, if we ask that of, of, of each other as family members, community citizens. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just playing all those scenarios out, every rule that I that you know, just for me personally, you know, if I do you know, ask your parents that, ask your, your my brothers that, ask the people I work with, friends. Yeah, it really that's a great way to frame your life, really. Oh, um, you and know, a great I, way to frame service. Yeah, here's a challenge right here for the next five days three times a day, ask somebody you serve in just in, in, in a small moment, what position do you need me to play for you right now? After they pick themselves up off the floor, <laughs> you know, uh, look at the level of reciprocity that's there. And, oh, and yeah. you know, this is where leadership really lives. That, yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful stuff right there, Scott. And I think that's a great challenge. And like you said, after, after they collect themselves off of what they've probably never heard of and just that in and of itself should be evidence that nobody does it all need. We all need a little bit more of that in our life, um, both yeah. receiving it and, and giving it for sure. You know, two thirds of Americans don't trust their neighbor anymore, man. You know, two thirds and, and you two know, thirds probably don't even know their neighbor. That's right. More privacy fences than front porches to be sure. So if you think about that though, in terms of what a competitive edge that gives you as a relevant leader, Here right? If, oh, if yeah. you, if you are the kind of leader who is authentic and relatable, um, and you work at that skill, people will run through Wall Street. I've seen oh, yeah. people do amazing things in combat, and it wasn't because they were told to. It was because they chose to. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's huge. When they really do, they choose to do it because of the leader you are, not, not just because of the position the two of you are in, but because of that, that collective buy-in. Speaking of, of, you know, being a transformational leader, being a relevant leader, and, and getting people to run through walls for you, who are two of the best leaders you have experienced firsthand and, and what made them so relevant uh, as, as we're using the hot word today? The first one is my father, Rex Mann, um, who is still with us. He, um, he is, in my opinion, is the greatest servant leader I have ever known. Um, in all the years of raising me, he never raised his voice at me which is unbelievable because I gave him every reason in the world to. Mm -hmm. um, but, but he, he, he embodies the, um, the aspects of leaving tracks, uh, uh, relationships as the asset and, um, you know, just serving a purpose bigger than yourself. He, 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 he is the guy who long before I became a green beret, um, imparted that on me and and when i was in firefights and in combat in really really crappy situations um every time i would ask myself what would dad do you know and um and and i still do at 51 years old he's still the greatest leader i've ever known um and the other one i would say is general scott miller he is the current commander of afghan forces in afghanistan i've known him since he was colonel scott miller um, and he is the kind of leader who, you know, he's commanded Delta, he's commanded JSOC, he's done it all. Um, he's the guy that got Zarqawi in Iraq, and, and, but yet he's the most humble. He does every single thing we've talked about here, Luke, and then some. And, you know, when we were starting Village Stability Operations and we wanted to take it bigger, um, he looked at me and he said, Scott, pack your rucksack. I want you to head south. Get down there and tell me what you need. Um, and... I'll never forget that. To me, that was the most empowering thing a leader's ever told me. And um, I've tried to emulate him ever since. 
Yeah, I've, you know, two great examples, Scott, and, and thank you for sharing both of those. Um, pretty awesome to have, have your father be that kind of example for you. And I know all of us, myself included, my dad's obviously a huge influence in my leadership experience as well, but to just be able to have somebody that you can always, in the back of your head, hey, what would, what would my dad do? You know, that's awesome. And then, you know, General Miller, the empowering, you know, the empowerment. And, and that's yeah. one of the big things of leadership. You know, being a leader isn't always having the right answer and always making the great move, but it is about finding the right answer in your organization. And part of that, you know, inherently, it's empowering others to speak up and give you that answer. It's empowering them to make the moves that'll make you successful. As yeah. a leader, you shouldn't have to be doing everything. You should be empowering other leaders and you know great leadership begets more leadership 100 percent. well said yeah i love it um and i don't want to take up too much more of your time tonight scott but i gotta ask you my my favorite question because it's different every time um what is your definition of leadership yeah to me um leadership my definition and, and it's it's rooftop leadership um, for me is, is inspiring people to take action that they otherwise would not take, not because they have to do it, but because they choose to do it. Oh, I love that. Wow. Yeah. You got me there for a second. That's just, um, that's a powerful way of looking at it. And I think it's really what it boils down to, you know, inspiring others to take action that they wouldn't otherwise do. And not because they're told to, but because they choose to. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I mean, that's, I, I can't think of a better answer I've gotten on this show. And that doesn't, that doesn't say anything about any of my previous guests' um, answers. I've had some great ones and some great mindsets with them. But, you know, I think that really, at least when it comes to the captain's coach, you know, that's really what you're trying to do as a leader. So that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. Do you have any other advice for, for anyone out there in a leadership position or, or anyone really just trying to develop their leadership skills or, or people aspiring to be a captain or, or any sort of leader in their, in their organization? You know, I think, um, gosh, there's, there's, there's so many things I want to say right now, but I, I think that, that what I would leave it at is this, is that, you know, if you're out there leading teams right now and, and, um, and, and, you have the courage to, to get in the arena and, and, and lead our young people today. Uh, goodness gracious, we need it more than ever. We have a, we have a real trust deficit in the country today. Uh, we have a disengagement. You know, 85% of Americans claim to be disengaged in the workforce. There has never been a time, in my assessment, um, that we need leaders more than we need them today. And, and I mean servant leaders, leaders who are willing to step into the arena and, and get scuffed up and, 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 and make a stand and then not get any credit for it, you know, right. or not get any recognition, no accolades, you know, being able to climb up on that rooftop and endure the tracer fire and, and, and fire back and do what has to be done, even when no one follows you. Uh, that to me is the, is the lone, what we call the loneliness of command. It's the, it's the hardest part of leading in a trust depleted uh, world that we're in today is not, not everyone's going to follow you all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to make a stand. You're going to have to go in a direction you know is right. And nobody comes initially. Right. But, but 
and you ask yourself, okay, well, what, why would I go through that? Why would I put myself through that? And, and my answer is just look around because nobody else is coming. There, there's no one else coming. I don't think anyone listening to this woke up this morning and said, oh, my God, thank God for Washington, D.C. You know? Regardless of what party you're in, I don't think anyone woke up and said that. And I think that, you know, it's up to us. It's, there's no one else coming to our aid. How we lead our community, how we lead our teams, how we lead our families, our children, is incumbent on us and those of us who are still in the arena to take care of each other, share best practices and do what has to be done because nobody else is coming. And, and, and that's just where I'm at it in my life right now. And, and I, that's what I would leave other leaders with is that there's nobody else coming. So we got to get it done. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it was uh, Todd, Todd Sanders, a former Marine. He was on the show uh, a while back. One of his favorite quotes was no one's coming. And it's yeah. the same exact idea. And, and yeah. I love that. I mean, it's great. And to put that in the framework of, of being a team captain, you know, you got to be willing to be, you know, Sam Walker says this in the captain class, you got to be the water cooler guy. You got to be the guy willing to, to do stuff because you know it's the right thing and not worry about someone coming to help you. You know, picking up balls after practice if no one else is doing it. Who, you know, you might, everyone might turn around and walk back to the locker room and leave you out there by yourself, but you got to do it. Like that, that's, that's what it comes down to. If that's really what your goal is, is to be a transformational leader, be a servant leader. That's the kind of stuff you have to do. And like you said, not expect a thank you. And on on the flip side of that, when things go wrong, be willing to accept all of the responsibility. Yeah. Um, There's a, there's a passage by a guy named Stephen Pressfield um, who wrote the book war of art. And, um, uh, just a couple of paragraphs. I'll share this with you, but I think it, it speaks to what he talks about being a creative, but it's basically what we're talking about in terms of leadership. It says, are you a born writer where you put on this earth to be a painter, a scientist, an apostle of peace? In the end, the question can only be answered by action. Do it or don't do it. It may help to think of it this way. If you were meant to cure cancer or write a symphony or crack cold fusion and you don't do it, you not only hurt yourself, even destroy yourself. You hurt your children. You hurt me. You hurt the planet. You shame the angels who watch over you and you spite the almighty who created you and only you with your unique gifts for the sole purpose of nudging the human race one millimeter further along its path back to God. Creative work is not a selfish act or a bid for attention on the part of the actor. It's a gift to the world and every being in it. Don't cheat us of your contribution. Give us what you've got. Yeah, no, I love it. I love that. You know, and that just for anybody out there doubting what they can do or what their next move should be, you know, don't think about it. Just do it. Do something that you know for sure is right. Something that you know is the correct move. Do that one thing, you know, it'll lead into another thing, you know, put your little piece of the universe in order and you know, you're making a difference one way or another, whether you realize it or not. So I think that's it. That's that's a great quote. Um, definitely a war of art. Anybody out there, pick up a copy for sure. Listen to it. Whatever. Um, are there any other books that you often find yourself recommending to your clients, your children, family members, um, people in the military, anything like that? Yeah, War of Art. I carry in my backpack and I read it every day. I've been doing that for about four years. And the other one that is just all scuffed up is the little book of talent by Daniel Coyle. Oh, awesome. 
and he he synthesized he went around you know kind of like culture code but he went around um the world and he he analyzed hotbeds of talent you know the dilapidated tennis courts of russia where the female tennis players keep coming the south korean golf courses where pga female champions the track and fields facilities of jamaica and he synthesized it down to 52 tips for high performers and it is unbelievable wow okay for sure gonna pick that one up myself i didn't even know about it and i listened to culture code so Shame on me, but I'll, uh, we'll definitely put those uh, both in the show notes along with your two books and some links to your, your videos as well on YouTube for anyone yeah. interested, which I'm sure they will be after this conversation. It was a, a, a blast uh, having you on the show, Scott. Uh, really, really enjoyed this conversation. If you, if you didn't get anything out of this, listeners, you, you probably had it on mute um, because you could have turned it on at any point and listened for two minutes and gotten, um, something that's going to make a difference with your team and your organization tomorrow. So, uh, thanks again, Scott. I really appreciate your time coming on the show. It's been a blast. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's my pleasure, man. And let's stay in touch. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks for listening to the captain's coach podcast with Luke Poulos. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.